Good morning. It is a blessing to be here today, and we are so thankful for your presence. This is a wonderful, amazing congregation, and we are thankful to all of our members who have chosen to be here this morning. The weather is not the best, but we're thankful for the opportunity that we have. If you're visiting with us, we're thankful that you're here. We have a few that may be in our midst. Please hang around, as even as Barry said earlier, and let us have a moment to get to know you and to greet you this morning. But we are thankful you have come our way. If you want to know more about what happens here and the church and Jesus and God, then we would gladly study with you or share with you even this day. If you're visiting, maybe looking for a church home, we'd love to have you here with us as we enjoy so many wonderful blessings here. We had such a good evening last night, and we're thankful to all those who had a part in putting that on, thankful to all those who worked so hard to make that happen, but thankful as well to all of our folks who were able to come. I don't know what this says exactly, but the message I got this morning from Sylvia said that Bill partied too hard last night. Uh, so that's why they're not here today. Uh, unfortunately, his stomach, his stomach was upset a little bit. She said he even had a low-grade fever, so he's not feeling well this morning. And we want to continue, as we always do, to pray for, for Bill and Sylvia uh, as he is battling this disease. But we are thankful to all those who came last night and had such a good time. If you're able to be back with us this afternoon, we'd love to have you again at 6 o'clock this evening as we are going to talk about the book of Exodus. We've been preaching in a, a series began last month looking at a book of the month club, if you will, as we have here all, uh, in our society and in our world, uh, but with the Bible books. And so we talked about Genesis. We're going to talk about Exodus. And part of the reason is beginning next Sunday morning, of course, I'll put it out there now in case you don't know, but we won't be uh, meeting next Sunday night to have our regular service. We'll be having our singing night here, but, uh, but we will begin next Sunday morning a series on the book of Exodus. And part of the reason for that is because our young people have been studying Exodus for uh, the Last Leaders program. The whole theme of this year's convention and work is Exodus, but as well, the Bible Bowl that they are participating in uh, is over the book of Exodus. They're going to take a test this afternoon to see how much they've learned so far, uh, and they can get credit or awards for that, depending on how well they do. We'll find that out when we go to convention. And then, of course, they'll participate in the Bible Bowl when we get there. But they've been studying Exodus, and they'll tell you it's quite interesting, and at times it's quite tough. And I'd like for us, even as a congregation, to support them in that and look at Exodus a little bit together. So tonight, we will begin taking a look at a general overview of the book. And in the coming Sunday mornings, we'll take a look at several different lessons that are found therein. But we would love to have you join us then if you can. Candace Dirksen was a 13-year-old girl. She was simply on her way home from school in Winnipeg, Canada, in November 1984, when she went missing just kind of disappeared into thin air for six and a half weeks. Her parents, Wilma and Cliff Dirksen, did, didn't know where she was. Six and a half weeks later, she was found, unfortunately, as they had probably already assumed, bound and tied in a shack not far from their family home. This was November 1984, and it took 22 years later before Mark Grant was charged with her murder. And Wilma Dirksen goes on to tell the story that they had a service, you know, they had friends and family coming over to the house there at that time. And they'd been there all day, all afternoon. They'd been very busy greeting people, you know, receiving those family and friends. And at 1030, there was a knock at the door and a stranger was standing there. And that stranger said, I'm part of the club. I am a parent of a murdered child. And as I sat down with that stranger at the time and talked, that stranger talked very seriously about 
what he harbored in his heart. The murder, the trauma, the hate that followed after his child had been murdered. And Wilma Dirksen would go on to say that, that I had a path. I had to choose. I had to choose which way that I was going to go. I had to decide whether or not I was going to choose forgiveness. Her story is told along with many others on a website in a group that's called The Forgiveness Project. It's a UK-based charity that collects stories of forgiveness and shares them to try to encourage people to consider what they can do with forgiveness. We, may, we, we know there may be no better word in the English language for a sinner's heart and the idea of forgiveness. Alexander Pope was the one who wrote, To err is human and to forgive divine. This morning we want to take just a few moments and consider forgiveness. What it really means, what it really is, and of course, ultimately, really what the Bible has to say about it. The Bible gives us several different pictures. One of those is in Psalm 103 and verse number 12, where David praises the Creator for his loving kindness. Because he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. When we read what the Bible has to say about forgiveness, we like that idea. We don't always practice it in our own life with others, but we like that idea. As far as the east is from the west, our transgressions have been removed from us by him. As well in Isaiah chapter 38 and verse number 17, the good king Hezekiah thanked the Lord for his redemption, proclaiming this idea that you have thrown all my sins behind your back. Now, we like that concept as well. That something might be forgotten is something that we would want to participate in, especially when it comes to our forgiveness, thrown behind his back. And then Micah chapter 7 and verse number 19, the prophet Micah maybe paints even a little bit better picture for us. He describes Jehovah as treading our iniquities under his feet and then casting the residue into the sea. Many of us have stood on the shoreline, have stood on the beach and watched that ocean, have watched that water that just disappears in front of us. We can't even see the end of it and we begin to try to comprehend what that would mean to have our sins cast into the sea and washed away from us. Even the New Testament in Acts chapter 3 is, is vivid with its characterization. When one turns to God in obedience, his sins are blotted out blotted out. We like that idea as well. That's comforting to us to think about forgiveness in that sense. Now we like those ideas. That, that's good to consider when it comes to forgiveness. But what we want to think about this morning and the rest of our lesson is the fact that there are some implications when it comes to forgiveness. There are some things that we must consider in forgiveness. First of all this morning, forgiveness implies an offense. If there is no breach of property, if there is no uh, problem, then no forgiveness is needed. The fact that human beings, accountable human beings, are required to forgive and forgiveness, require forgiveness, suggests that we've committed some type of sin, some type of offense against our Creator. This in and of itself suggests a standard of conduct that has been violated. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number four says, sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness, of course, literally means without law. And it represents a revolt against God. 
All of us to a degree are outlaws then because we are without law when we have sin in our life. So first of all, forgiveness implies that there is an offense. But number two this morning, it implies the personal inability to remedy the violation. The personal inability to remedy the violation. We think about Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, in one of his many parables, Jesus tells of a man who was head over heels, if you will, in debt to his Lord. And in describing this person's condition, in describing the condition of the debtor, the Lord said that he had not wherewith to pay. That man is an example or represents each of us. We do not have the wherewithal to pay, to remedy our condition. One cannot untell a lie once it is told. He cannot uncommit adultery after the foul deed has been done. Sin cannot be undone by any human maneuver. And so according to the language there, Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 27, the language of the parable, the Lord who represents God, being moved with compassion, released him, released the debtor and forgave him the debt. So when we think about forgiveness, there is an offense. We are offenders in that sense. And we have to recognize that there's nothing that we can do personally in that sense to, to take it back. We're going to mention it several times, maybe through the rest of the lesson. But in our world, we talk about forgive and forget. We're sometimes good at forgiving, but not very good sometimes at forgetting. And that's, that's good sometimes. We remember where we've been. We remember what we've been through. And other times that's hard. Because I might look at you and say, I'll always remember that. I forgive you, and we can be friends, but I, I always remember that because I have struggled, I struggle to let go of that. And we struggle when we think about God treating us in that way. But we have to recognize that we are not able to do it on our own. We don't, do not have that ability. So, a couple of other questions this morning. Can forgiveness be conditional? Can forgiveness be conditional? Is it possible for one to forgive and yet the forgiveness be conditional without any compromise of moral integrity on the part of the forgiver? Would we be okay to give forgiveness that is conditional? Well, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 23 and verse number 34. Luke 23 and verse number 34. There may be no better illustration of this than the concept of what Jesus says while he's on the cross. It's not Jesus at any other time. It's not Jesus, you know, walking down the road, hanging on the cross. What does he say? In Luke chapter 23 and verse number 34. Father, forgive them, he petitions, for they know not what they do. Now, who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about those who are in the process of murdering him. That's who he's talking about. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, our question is, can forgiveness be conditional? Well, I have another question for you. Did God at that point in time forgive those Jews unconditionally? I would say he did not. I would say he did not. And this is evidence, of course, when we go over to the book of Acts chapter 2, where Luke records for us in verse number 23 that Peter charged those there, you by the hand of lawless men did crucify and slay the Christ. If Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 2 that they did that, then I would submit that maybe it's possible that God did not unconditionally forgive them when Jesus made that statement in Luke 23 and verse number 34. 
Concerning those same sins, the fact that they had crucified Jesus in verse number 38, of course, of Acts chapter 2, Peter would go on to say, repent. Repent. Now, why would they need to repent if their sins were already forgiven? If Jesus making that statement and God forgives everyone standing there at that moment, why would Peter tell them they need to repent? Further, Peter admonishes, be immersed, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the forgiveness of your sins. Clearly, the promise of forgiveness to these folks had become convinced of their willingness to go along with Jesus' death. Clearly, this promise of forgiveness was conditional. God is willing to freely forgive us. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23. God is willing to freely forgive us. But there must be an example of faith on our part. We must show that we are willing to do what he requires for the reception of that graciousness. If God could simply hit everyone and make them forgive everybody at one point, then what's the point of living the Christian life? What's the point of becoming obedient? In the same way, it's also perfectly obvious that when the child of God becomes lax or transgresses his father's will, the pardon extended to him is conditional. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9 begins, If, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. Notice the word if. We can be forgiven our sins. We can become a Christian. We can be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. But if we go right back to the mud, if we go right back to the mire, to what we were doing, the sinful ways, I don't think that God's going to continue to forgive us. He says it there in 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9. If we continue, if we, or excuse me, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us. There are two kinds of forgiveness. For lack of a better expression or a better way of saying it, there is the vertical forgiveness, if you will. That, of course, which we receive from our loving Father. But as well, there is the forgiveness that we might give to each other. The horizontal forgiveness that we are required to extend to one another. We think about the words in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 9 and following. In the model prayer that Jesus gives there, he says, Our Father, forgive us our debts, the vertical sense. As we forgive our debtors, the horizontal sense, one to another. Or perhaps Paul's encouragement to those in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 13. He tells them that they ought to be forbearing to one another. Forgiving each other. If any man have a complaint against any, even as the Lord forgave you, also also do ye. We have these two types of forgiveness that we have to consider When it comes to our life, we're thankful that we have the vertical forgiveness. Again, if you will allow me to use it that way. But let's consider as well the horizontal forgiveness for just a few moments. In what sense then do we forgive one another? We know that God is willing to forgive us. He is willing to do that. But in what sense then do we forgive one another? Well, I'd submit to you this morning that our forgiveness, our forgiveness of each other has more to do with attitude maybe than a specific act. Think with me for just a moment about a a few principles that that would highlight a person who is trying to be Christ-like. When we talk about our forgiveness to each other, what are we talking about? Well, first of all, the forgiving person does not attempt to take revenge 
upon those who have wronged him. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 17 and following. If it has more to do with our attitude than necessarily with one particular act, notice that the forgiving person does not attempt to take revenge upon those who have wronged him. As well, the forgiving person does not hate the offender. Rather than, rather than that, in spite of the person's evil, he still loves him. So the forgiving person not only does not attempt revenge, he does not hate, but as well, the forgiving person is tenderhearted. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 32, he is kindly disposed to the person who has wronged him. Now, as you think about your life and you consider those who have wronged you, sometimes that's difficult to be tenderhearted towards someone who has hurt us. But that's the attitude that we must cultivate in our life. The, the forgiving person must be approachable approachable waiting for the person leaving the door open for reconciliation longing for things to be made right the forgiving person is not merely passive either in waiting for the offender to repent maybe he goes to that person constantly once a week once a month hey you know i want to make this right i don't want this hanging out there I, maybe i didn't do anything but i want us to, to fix the problem that is between us there is a passage that puts these principles into sharper focus, and that is Luke chapter 17 and verse number 3. Luke 17 and verse number 3, where Jesus says, If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Rebuke and forgive. These are the two imperatives that are conditional. Think for a moment. They're conditional. I may not rebuke my brother for a sin that he has not committed. I can't come around and rebuke you if you've not done anything. But on the other hand, I cannot forgive my brother of a sin which he refuses to repent. Now our question here is, does that conflict with what we just said? The attitude that we must have, those different things that a forgiving person must be, not taking revenge, tender-hearted, approachable, does this conflict with what we've just said? Absolutely not. While it does, or excuse me, while it does help us to cultivate the disposition that we need, we are not at liberty at the same time. We are not at liberty to simply dismiss our brother's evil and if, as if some way that we could free him from his obligation to make things right with God. You see, the sin that we have is a sin ultimately, first and foremost, against God. The offender must still be held accountable for their action. That's a biblical principle. Again, we're going to start talking about the book of Exodus. There's a lot in there about what would happen if something takes place and there's a problem. The person's not just simply let loose. As a human being, I don't have the ability to forgive sins. Now, I can be ready. I can be approachable. I can be tenderhearted. But I cannot rebuke somebody of something they've not done. And I can't forgive anybody either of something that maybe they're not able or ready to repent of just yet. What we want to do in our last few moments together is consider forgiveness from the heart. Forgiveness from the heart. In our thoughts that we began our lesson with, we talked about a lady by the name of Wilma Dirksen, a person whose child was brutally murdered, taken from them. They'll never get her back. She's struggling with the question, with the idea of how to forgive this killer, this murderer who has forever 
upset her life, who has forever ruined her, her peace and tranquility in her life as she considers this. What could we say in a sense that might help her or someone else who's struggling with forgiveness with this type of problem? Well, we talk about forgiveness from our heart. The attitude that we've talked about this morning. First of all, forgiveness from our heart does not mean that the sin can be ignored. There are both sometimes moral and civil consequences that must be paid. There are moral and civil consequences to such a horrible act. That wounded mother is not obligated to frustrate the legal process of her child's murder to make sure that that killer is brought to justice. She, she's not able to just say, well, it's, it's nothing. You know, it's not a big deal. I forgive. We'll just all move on with our lives. Even though the killer could obtain pardon from God through obedience to the gospel, he must still suffer the temporal consequences of his violation of the civil law. When we think about forgiveness, we should stand willing to forgive others. But we have to understand that there are consequences to our actions. And sin cannot simply be ignored. So there are some things that we can do when we think about forgiveness from our heart. Number two, considering along those same lines, we must take note of the value of a human soul. Any soul. Every soul. It's worth more than the entire universe to God. Paul once spoke of a brother, a solitary brother, for whose sake Christ died in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 11. If Jesus died for all, who are we? To be selective. Who are we to be selective with regard to those that, he, that we are willing to forgive? There is value in each and every human soul. And when we consider forgiveness, we have to remember that. As well, number three, we must remember that while it is the case that some sins have a greater earthly consequence, if you will. Murder carries a greater penalty than shoplifting. But sin, any sin, every sin, all sin is still a serious violation of the will of God. The inspired writer James noted that sin in James chapter 1 and verse number 15, ultimately one sin, any sin ultimately brings forth death. We look upon murder many times in our life as being this, this terrible, horrible, atrocious act. But God puts it in the same catalog with strife, malice, backbiting, boasting, disobedience towards parents, envy, cowardice, and lying. In many different passages, Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The point is this, in view of the manner in which our holy creator views sin, we can hardly be selective in which sins we will pardon. We must reflect upon our past. We must consider how, we must be painfully aware of how our sins have disappointed the Lord so terribly and frequently. We have a tendency sometimes to minimize our own problems, to kind of put aside what we've done, and yet maximize the mistakes of others. Well, did you know what they did? But inspiration puts it into a little different focus for us. Titus chapter 3 and verses 2 and 3, we are to speak evil of no man, not to be contentious, to be gentle, showing all meekness toward all men. For we also once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving different lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful 
and hating one another. It's a terrible, terrible thing if we forget the many sins of which we've been forgiven. This morning, I want us to conclude with a couple of thoughts. And one of those is in the joy of forgiveness when forgiveness is received. In Luke chapter 7 and verses 36 through 50, you may recall that Jesus was visiting the home of a Pharisee named Simon. And you may recall this not so much for Simon, but for these verses where a particular sinful woman, likely a former prostitute, came into his house. She goes directly to where Jesus is sitting, and her tears of joy flooded the Savior's feet. She dries his feet with her long hair. She gently kisses them and anoints them with precious ointment there in that story in Luke chapter 7. As the story goes on and Jesus talks about forgiveness with Simon. As Simon thinks these things in his, his head and Jesus kind of calls him out on it. And he begins to talk about forgiveness. The Lord exp explains that her actions would appear to be the result of forgiveness that she had already received. Now, you can't tell that necessarily in the Bible that you've got there. But as you look on down into verse 46, 47, 48, Jesus uses a particular verb tense there as we look at back at the original language of forgiveness that had already been given. Now, it would seem that maybe there's something here that we don't know, that maybe that we don't have the recorded occasion of where Jesus might have interacted with her at a different time. But according to the way it's, it's used in the perfect tense, she had already received the forgiveness. Now, when we think about forgiveness and we think about how we feel when we receive forgiveness, that's very comforting to us. It makes us feel good. We have joy to know that we've been forgiven. But do we share that with others? Her actions here, what everyone else in the room looked at her and saw were these over-the-top actions of this woman who would come in, this sinful woman who would come in and dare touch Jesus, dare do this to him in this way. But it would appear possibly that her actions are simply her joy coming forth from her joy of being forgiven. Do we feel that way about our life? Do we share that with others? The joy of having forgiveness in our own life. Jude White was born in Belfast, Ireland in 1957 to Catholic parents. And if you know anything about Ireland in the 60s and 70s and 80s, even into the 90s, there was an internal conflict going on in Ireland between the Catholics and the Protestants. There's a lot more to it than that, of course, but for our purpose this morning, there was internal strife between these groups. He, he talks about how he, he would even come home from school and hang up his backpack and, and go begin fighting and picking up, put up his backpack and pick up a bomb and go into this war, this internal conflict that was going on in Ireland at the time. He recalls that it was 1983, the first time that his home was bombed. A suicide bomber, as it would seem, walked up to their house because they knew, specifically even from the clothes that he wore, the uniform, that his family was Catholic. And so a suicide bomber walks up to their house and attempts to detonate a bomb and, and does so, although I don't believe from my understanding that anyone was killed at that time except for the suicide bomber. And he wasn't simply blown up. He, he survived for a, a few moments. Jude White tells of his mother comforting that bomber sending her son to go get a pillow 
to try to put under his head and, and prop him up and hold him in those last few moments before he passed away. That stuck with him because just a year later, in 1984, his mother was killed by a bomb at their home. Because of this internal conflict, someone had left another bomb at their house. He said, surely they would leave us alone because of what my mother did for this previous person. But no, they came again and they left a bomb out front. She called the police and a policeman showed up and, and both of them were killed when this bomb detonated at their house. He said the same thing as Wilma Dirksen. What am I going to do? How do I deal with forgiveness? What path am I going to choose? This morning as we conclude our lesson and we ask for you to consider your life, the point is what we said earlier, God is willing to freely forgive me, you, the world. If the world would be willing to come to him and meet him on his terms, the way that he has told us to become obedient. Praise be to God that we have a God who is forgiving and gracious because many times in our life, we do not show that to others. This morning as we are about to con conclude our lesson and sing this invitation song, maybe you're here this morning and you stand in need of forgiveness. Maybe there's something in your life that you won't let go of, can't let go of. It's not the way that God treats our sin. Maybe you need to be forgiven of your sins in God's simple plan of salvation. He has promised us that if we will be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, he will do that. The blood of Christ can wash our sins away. He will do all of those things that he talks about in the, in the Bible, the Old Testament, and the New Testament passages. And we can stand pure in his sight. He will add us to his church and we can begin to live faithfully. But, but as these stories that we've talked about this morning and the stories that would come from this very room would tell us, it doesn't stop there. We still stand in need of forgiveness because it's conditional. Uh, we can't be forgiven one time and that be it. We must continue to serve him. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you've sinned against God. You, you stand in need of his forgiveness for, for something else that's come into your life and separated you from him. Maybe you're here and you're, you're struggling with any number of other things in your life at this point. It's why we assemble together as a body to encourage one another, to recognize there is forgiveness, there is healing found in Christ. We must be obedient, but he is willing to forgive, and we should be willing to forgive one another. If you need to make a change, would you consider doing so now while we stand together?